This is a podcast that now focuses on the 90s, and we are calling it the Undiscovered Decade. We uh, took stock of what we've been doing, and we realized that uh, our favorite thing has been to find some hidden gems that people aren't talking about anymore 30 years later, uh, like our Loose Cannons episode back in February 1990. Uh, we talked about Crybaby. We talked about Dick Tracy last month. Even though that was a pretty big film, it you know, what isn't talked about anymore. And so we're, we're starting to take a look at those undiscovered films. And uh, this month we're looking at July 1990 and the movie Quick Change. Uh, this starred Bill Murray, as you can see behind Jeff, as a clown who robs a bank, uh, an ingenious plot that actually, Corey, you'll like this, I did not see coming uh, that he had accomplices, even though I knew the plot, the basic logline. And you've seen the poster. Right. I didn't put two and two together when uh, Randy Quaid looked like Wolfman Jack and was freaking yeah. the fuck out. That's I, funny because like, put, I put I that together pretty quickly. I'm like, oh, oh, he's definitely an accomplice, the way like he's acting. And I was like, and him being like, you know, kind of a big actor-ish. Well, uh, I did. Maybe, maybe not at that point, but like. You know. I didn't recognize him. At first, I was like, why is Gina Davis like in a weird shirt? I just <laughs> thought, she, I thought she had um, Stockholm Syndrome. I thought yeah. that was going to be the plot. Like he ends up taking two of the people with him to make his getaway. I thought that's how they ended up. And then they were like, yeah, sure, we'll help you with the money. And they become his accomplices that way. I thought that's how it was going to reach the log line. Kind of like three fugitives. Yeah. The Martin exactly. Short film. Right. Because I... I mean, you know, seeing Randy Quaid in there, I'm like, I thought that he was just Randy Quaid being Randy Quaid. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> like, you know, I I wasn't expecting that either. Um, and, you know, it, it was a really well done uh, quick change, if you will. Mm -hmm. Well, that actually... When... Do we want to go into, like, the actual synopsis of... Yeah, I mean, we start off with the bank robbery, and... Uh... It's just sort of like a casual bank robbery. Like, it's, yeah, it's... Bill Murray, it's... as a clown, just walks into a bank. It's a perfectly it's... deadpan, droll, sardonic well, bank robbery. It's Bill Murray. It, Bill Murray it as the Joker. Bill Murray. Yeah. This Bill... is a good point. He was saying the whole time he's robbed the bank, did Nolan actually base the Dark Knight opening on the Quick Change opening? But then, right. I, but then I remember Nolan based it on like, uh, but like he actually based it on um, uh, he, the killing, and we'll get to oh, that the killing later. too. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, so, yeah, like, yeah. So like when I well, like when we but from beginning to end, by the time we got to the end of the movie, I was just like, so basically. Uh, or a short change? That's the name of this one. Quick, quick, quick change. <laughs> I, like, I'm so, I'm so like. Um, short time I, was a movie thought. That's why okay, I so, was vamping earlier. I forgot the name so, of the movie. So like, uh, so this this movie is basically a comedic version of the killing. Yeah. Although the killing has some dark comedy in it. Oh yeah, no, it's no, like, definitely. It's, it's like it's it's a comedy for sure, but like or dark comedy, but like this is just like you know comedy in the like classical sense, like with a happy ending. Yeah, see, I was feeling like it was it's a romantic comedy of it, it, if it's the first five minutes of the dark night as a rom-com. Like, I was gonna say that Bill Murray and Gina Davis had really palpable chemistry. Yeah, I really believe especially it. in the first scene after they get out of the bank, yeah, and they're reminiscing how they concocted the robbery. I was like, they have some sparks, they got some snappy dialogue too. Yeah. 
And yeah. it actually made me like Randy Quaid. I realized that I just didn't like what he was doing in the bank. And I was so worried they were going to focus on him like that. I thought the beard was real, like an idiot. And so I, I was thrilled when he's just like a goofball. The funny part is his, his character arc is like a reverse bell curve because he starts off heightened. He, he's subdues for a little bit and then he gets heightened again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't, I don't normally like a concussion, him, but here, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm convinced. Quaid's a bit like over the top uh, yeah. with, his, with the characters that he portrays. Yeah, like uh, Christmas Vacation. Yeah, but like that, that's kind of like how he that. started off in the movie, in this movie. Yeah, he was a little over the top, but like that was a hostage situation. So like, if you're gonna play a character like that, of course he's gonna be over the top. But like, uh, he sort of became more of a bumbling oaf. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like an endearing, lovable guy that you like, you can't help right. be, but like you can't help to be angry at him. So you just kind of let it go. They it's never, like, they never I'm explain kidding. it, but there's got to be a reason he's with the this couple. I, they never say like he's one of their brothers or right. he's well, the best well, friend. He's well, not a third wheel though. Well, well, he's been friends with Bill Murray's character since like he said, uh, "It's like please don't hit me again," because like he yeah. hit him and he was like, "I haven't." You're like nine. Fourth grade or fifth yeah. grade. I like to. Yeah, I, I like know. to think it's, it's kind of like a clearly childhood friends and Bill Murray's like the smart guy and he's able to like maybe not even like fool this guy into get going into these cons. He's like he's such a good friend that like he's just yeah sure no I'll help you out. Yeah. I feel like it's kind of an, an of mice and men situation. <laughs> He's the Lenny. Right. I almost said Lenny. He didn't snap Jay Davis's neck, though, in fairness. Uh, yes. Oh, God. <laughs> they got to get to wherever they're going. Yeah, well, <laughs> but I'm, I'm also convinced that Randy Quaid is just such a, a good actor deep down that he like did all of his own stunts, and that concussion he suffered is real. And that's mm-hmm. like what kind of set off the rest of Randy Quaid's career was it's weird once the once the 90s hit he started to do more comedic roles because early in his career he's doing like the last detail and last picture show and those are more dramatic he got nominated for one of those I think I I guess guess the concussion's what did it for him (laughs) yeah Yeah. that's why and now he's a QAnon lunatic yeah no uh fantastic yeah totally derailed what i was gonna say oh but i was gonna say this is a great uh you know how every movie from the 90s is like a love letter to new york city this is not this is like a misanthropic outsider's point of view of new york city so there's little subtle jabs at the city throughout yeah like for instance when the bank robbery first starts a hot dog vendor quick runs into the crowd <laughs> yeah oh my god that was so good and then at the beginning when he's gotta get them fed. when he's when he's dressed as a clown nobody pays attention to him because that's commonplace in new york people Subway. see weirdos like that all the time and when he goes into the bank and he's trying to convince people this is a robbery everybody just looks desensitized like eh, we see this all the time I saw Probably just guy pulling a prank other day of a person in a rat costume getting on the subway and just like perching and like looking at everybody and no one cared. Yeah, and you just, thought nothing of it. Yeah, it's yeah. New York. I do like, like that Tuesday. No one cares that he's robbing the bank. He's like, this is a gun. Right. It was. Ba- it felt like you know, if Ghostbusters was a love letter to New York, it was Bill Murray's love letter to New York. This was his like. I'm fed up with this. Yeah, well, like, how, how, many job to New York. how many times he literally says out loud, God, I hate this town. You know what their problem is? They live here. <laughs> yeah. He says that a few times, though. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. 
I do like their take on Brooklyn too, because it was still a little crummy, at least like in the streets and stuff like it's oh, yeah. dirty. One of, but one of my favorite scenes was the uh the construction workers. Oh yes. They're trying to get to the BQE. It's like right there too. I know yeah. where they're filming every time and they're in like the actual location they're talking about yeah. every time they're there. And, it, and then the establishing shot when they're there's a great camera work where he's like, if only we could find a landmark and they pull back and show the Statue of Liberty. Right. Yeah. Like that's how you navigate through New York. You find landmarks. You know, yeah. it's funny. Like the set, like the way that they shot that, like this, from where they were before that shot, they're like the statue's not that close. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah, because I've seen, I've seen, like I used to live like right off the J and Q line, and like when it goes above that's ground, you could, up. you could, I mean, yeah, but like uh, it, it still looks like it's still you could see this uh, the statue, but it's not like. It's not close. Well, down like, like past Red Hook is where they were. They're like at, right below the Verrazano. Yeah. And that's yeah. where they're stuck there too. That's the irony. Where they were shooting that shot probably so, couldn't get to the BQE that, they wanted. Yeah. Well, hang, like, hang on. Uh, let's let's like recap what that, that scene entailed for those of you who. Well, sure. <laughs> so they, get the, they go through the bank robbery. Um, Bill Murray uh, holds all the, these hostages in a vault after proving that the gun is real. And uh, there's a couple people in there that are uh, highlighted, including Gina Davis and Randy Quaid as their undercover hostages. Um, there's a yuppie who tries to sell his watch for protection from Bill Murray. Here's a fun fact. That is the um, actress Betty Gilpin's father. She's the star of Glow. Oh. oh. He's now a reverend. He really never did anything that big, but he's bit a bit character all through the 90s. So, um, but no one else really tries to get out. The other guy behind uh, Jeff's shoulder is Bob Elliott, Chris Elliott's father. Uh, he's, he's a comedian from the uh, mid 20th century. So I don't know exactly his range. I forgot to look up his time, but he was, he was a pretty big comedian, I think in the fifties and sixties. And so this is like a nice cameo for him in the twilight of his career. Um, but he, opens the door for Murray is like, ah, the bank's about to close and, and Murray busts in and is like, I'm, I'm robbing the bank. And they're all blase about it. The guard's like, I'm not going to stop you. I don't want to <laughs> die for this. So he's kind of like the spokesperson for the hostages. And then they eventually get out because Murray sets it up that talking to the hostage negotiator played by Jason Robards uh, is uh supposed to give him a bunch of vehicles for a getaway and that is a bunch of red herrings so you don't know which vehicle he's going to use they think they're going to tag them as they get to one of the vehicles but murray's trick is he came in as a clown so everyone's describing the clown he takes the makeup off everyone thinks he's just a hostage and so he comes out with gina davis at one point and they all think it's just murray let two hostages go and they just walk away it's pretty then, ingenious plot yeah, yeah. Um, so then they're reconnoitering near a payphone so that he can still call Robards uh, so that uh, he can trick him into giving them a little more time to get away. Uh, like, I'll, I'll send another hostage out in like five minutes. And Randy Quaid accidentally beeps the horn of their getaway car. And obviously there's no cars inside the bank. So now they don't have enough time. They got to get to JFK, but... yeah. But leading up to this, the um, the demands that he makes to release the hostages just keep getting more and more ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Like he's asking for a helicopter and a monster truck, and 
and they actually did like I'm pretty sure that monster truck was like half the movie's budget. Yeah. And drive it down the street. The and Bill Murray is calling from a payphone. He doesn't even see it. He's like, that's a that's a piece. It doesn't of have money. a hydraulic tilting body. Yeah. Right. It's unacceptable. And it's at that moment that Randy Quaid honks the horn. Yep. Setting off the events. So then they gotta make their way through Brooklyn faster to try and get over to Queens and the airport and everything. And so many things go wrong, including when they're trying to get to the BQE, these construction workers have taken down a sign that leads them like probably a hundred feet to where the entrance is. But everything when you're driving around Brooklyn looks like it could be an entrance to a highway. There are one ways ramps that are hidden behind buildings and it's just a mess down there. So oh, kind of getting PTSD that. from that shop. Yeah. Yeah, I have tr uh, I have PTSD from that. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, try driving a box truck through Brooklyn. You see, like when I live down there, like or live near there. I was walking around. I need to get somewhere. I usually had a couple hours extra time to like just wander. Mm -hmm. So like I could afford to get lost and get well acquainted with the streets. You hadn't uh, just robbed a bank. Yeah, uh, yeah. I also <laughs> hadn't just robbed a bank. But like it got so so. I guess bad or good. Yeah. However you want to look at it. Like uh, whenever like uh, I'll be walking around. With uh, friends are like, how do we get so uh, get to this location from here? I'm like, uh, probably make a ride over there. And then they're like, what? And I'm like, yeah, no, probably make a ride over. Not even like really like paying attention to like this like 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 street names like East Thirty Fourth, blah blah blah, yada yada. I'll just well, look well, at I'll well, look the at numbers mess you up. Yeah, no, <laughs> I looked at landmarks and I'm yeah. like, yeah, no, I recognize that building. We want to make a right over there. And yeah. I'm like, okay, all right, make the right. And I like, eventually like, how'd you know? It's like I got lost here for four hours. <laughs> I had time to get well acquainted. But clearly, they, the Statue of Liberty. If only we had a landmark. <laughs> yeah. Um, so they go through a series of amusing scenarios that, that trip them up on their way to the airport <clears throat> that involves a bunch of cameos from a, a various amount of actors. Uh, the first of which is Jamie Sheridan, who played the president in Homeland eventually. He plays this uh, guy who's just standing by a car. He's looking at a map. So they think he'll know where to lead them to the airport. And they drive up to him. And clearly they're in a bad part of the town, but they still want to trust someone. And they're like, it's Iowa plates. He's just looking at a map. But the guy's robbing. He has a, ro uh, a stolen car. So he immediately robs the three of them, takes their car. And, and they're so he doesn't even know the capital of Iowa. <laughs> oh wait, uh, did we did we, uh, did we say did we say that like uh, the, they hid the cash on them? Well, this is a perfect time to say that. Oh yes, they had the cash on them, so the guy that robbed them didn't take their cash, right? Because they were smart enough. So the to movie tuck doesn't end under their clothes and tape it shut. It doesn't become a or thing where they have back. to chase Sheridan down yeah. and, and steal it back. Um, but it just goes to show you why Murray's trying to get out of New York. He's like, we're all gonna die eventually if we stay here. Uh, so they they have to get new clothes because clearly they're in clothes that they were last seen in. They don't want to be identified. So Gina Davis is like, I still have some clothes in my apartment. Uh, and so they go there and it's already been sold. So they double park real quick, try to rush in and change. And then the new tenant pops in, played by one of my favorite actors who I didn't know was in this, Phil Hartman. <laughs> I'm thrilled yeah. he was here. Uh, he's amusing in his little bit. He just holds a gun on them and they convince him not to shoot them. Uh, and it, that's that's a little bit where you uh, appreciate the chemistry between Murray and Davis. 
Uh, they, they know how to get out of a situation pretty well. Just play on their, uh, their angels, I guess. Um, but then while they're being held up sort of by Hartman, this fire happens across the street and because they're double parked in front of the fire hydrant, they break the car and try to move it by pushing it into neutral. And it's on a hill and it rolls into a park and off the street. And then their getaway vehicle is just destroyed. Yeah, so now they have no way to get there. There's like a, honestly, that car is is uh, Randy Quaid's version of Gina Davis. Like that's, <laughs> that car is his romantic interest. That yeah, I didn't take that. More that's and more. <laughs> he, he does get overly emotional about it. Yeah, well, he's a getaway driver. That was that was that was, that was his, his thing. Yeah. That was his thing. So his his thing went away into uh, basically New York street trash. Trash. Yeah. Yep. Just just like bye bye, doodles. So the next thing they do is they're wandering. It's getting dark now. They've already had to delay their flight. Murray actually brings up that he had a backup flight because he knew that something could have gone wrong. And it's New York is, after all. This yeah. This is where it actually gets uh, touching. He and Davis are starting to fight, and you already know from some conversations James Davis has had with uh, Randy Quaid that something's going on with. Should we blanket and say spoilers? Oh, uh, everyone knows. We don't need. I don't think we need right. to say spoilers anymore. In this yeah, because like, 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 we're going incident by incident here. There's a handful of people out there that have seen it. And they're like, okay, yeah. these well, guys we already we already gave away the hostage gag. So I mean, the reason like, we should just read this podcast is to hear us think about quick change right yeah so we'll just read uh, the podcast four dudes and spoil everything yeah um in a bad situation <laughs> okay um so the thing that happens is you, you're kind of learning that you, you kind of infer that gina davis is pregnant and uh, she doesn't actually say it till the end, but that's what she's hinting at to Randy Quaid that she and Murray are gonna have a kid. Uh, so they're talking and it's like, do you wanna be known as a criminal if we're having a child, if we're starting a family? That's her big modus operandi. And they're bickering as they've lost the car. And he's like, I tried my best to predict what would happen and I didn't wanna worry you. So it's nice that he's looking out for her, but maybe he needs to communicate better. Maybe she would be more in, open to him. In and typical, so being a nice little relationship drama. In typical Bill Murray fashion, he's just the sensitive asshole. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, that's what he's but, known for. So, anyway, they need to get back to. They need to get to JFK, so they can try to find a cab. Uh, driven by none other than Monk. In his first on-screen role, uh, Tony Shalhoub. Bluff Tony. Who Bluff Tony. His uh, uh, role is in another language, which I don't think he knew originally. He's uh, Lebanese, I believe. Uh, I don't know if he has anything else in there, but he. I don't. I don't know if the driver's supposed to be Lebanese. He comes from Illinois, so. So he could have just made up some, yeah. some, some like something that vaguely sounded Arabic, right? Based on what he knew from his childhood, yeah. from, from what, like grandparents or parents, or something. right? From what I understand, he kind of just made it up on the spot in the audition, and they're like, "Yeah, that's perfect." 
Because so. it's like if I, if like you, when you can get away with that, a, a Korean character, I'm like, well, I'll be I'll be the complete opposite. I'll be like, screw that. No, I can't. <laughs> I can't make up Korean noises. Well, you're not trying to go for an audition. Yeah, I'm not trying to go for an audition. But like you know, he pulled it off. But yeah, he's he's really amusing. Just trying to communicate. You can understand what he's trying to say to the cops yeah. when Robards eventually gets to the scene. This is the first part where they are clued in on their location, the closest they get, the cops. And uh, Shalhoub is good with animated information. He he's always uses his arms to try and uh, convey emotion. And so you kind of get, he's like pointing out where they are and no one's really paying attention to like his body language. But uh, in this moment, they're struggling with trying to communicate with him since he's using a different language. Randy Quaid panics because they hear a report on themselves in the cab and jumps out of the moving car and plants himself face first into a newsstand and knocks himself unconscious. This is what Jeff was talking about earlier uh, that may have led to his uh, demise. His real life. But then, you know, but then after that, like he, he's knocked out and then it's a really touching moment because Bill Murray and Gina Davis are looking over him and they're like, you know, they, they've been taking care of him for so long. They're like, you can't, you, you got to get up, man. We, we got to, we got to do this. And then, meanwhile, there's just other New Yorkers kind of looking on. And like, oh, a guy's just... rubbernecking. Right. Um, but then, you know, the rest of the movie, like Randy Quaid is just having, a, he's exhibiting concussion symptoms in real time. <laughs> really weird. He curls up at one point in Gina Davis's lap, even though she's like half his size. Right. Um, That's great. They play that touching moment for a second. She's like, "No, you didn't do anything wrong, except when you honk the fucking horn and then snap, yeah. slaps him in the face." Yeah. <laughs> like, okay, um, you're you're okay now, so you can. Fuck yeah. It. The uh, the next thing that happens is that since they're trying to avoid any attention, they duck into where they now concuss Randy Quaid uh, into the nearest open door, which happens to be a mob hideout. Of course, because of course they're luck. Uh, and of course it's Brooklyn, so every other corner is a mob hideout. And it's Stanley Tucci with hair. I know, it's so almost. It's so yeah, the, kind of. It's, mo it's mostly <laughs> yeah. hair. There's a reason he's bald. It does not look like he's any younger. Um, which is amazing because he's so close to his best friend. And they never actually interact in this movie. Yeah, there's no scenes with the two of them. No. Stanley Tucci. They're bald. mere feet away. Yeah, they all, I think they walk past each other once, uh, what's his name comes by, that in the uh, uh, the big guy that actually, they, the the name that uh, the big Mario comes up. Yeah, not Mario. Does he say Mario? Yeah, it's no. Mario, the enforcer. Oh, yeah. Wait, or He just makes up the first Italian name that comes to mind. He, Murray vamps when he's inside the mob hideout, because they're like, what are you doing in here? We got, they got all their guns pointed on them. Tucci's yeah. the tough for this Gambino guy. And it's great. Murray gets to use some of his improvisational skills. And the first Italian name he comes up with, he's like, Mario sent us. Do you want Mario to show up? It's, it's like, he actually says Mario's boss first. And he's like, yeah. would you rather Mario be here? And they're all like, no, no, we don't want Mario. And so he gets away with it. And they pay him to go <laughs> away. Yeah, like, Even at the end of that, Gene Davis is like, I can't well, believe no, you uh, grifted the mob and made them feel well, bad well, for you. It wasn't that they paid him to go away. It was like, Murray's he he basically he basically convinced him that he was the pickup guy. Yeah, because yeah. what else do you guys say? Yeah. 
I wandered in because I'm a criminal, like yeah. just avoiding someone else. They might have understood actually if he just was like, I'm just trying to get away from the cops. <laughs> and they're like, oh. oh, okay, fine. Yeah, get out of here. <laughs> like, oh. But uh, yeah. so then they get a little more money and uh, they walk outside and there's a bus. And this is, this is actually the one moment I was kind of annoyed at because it kind of like, it's very frustrating. Maybe that, I, I don't think it was bad. I think I was, it was driving me crazy because of the tension. Um, they I was going to say, that was a pretty suspenseful scene when they're getting on the bus. Yeah, yeah. I, think, I don't think I disliked it. I disliked it because I didn't want to experience it. The longest um, minute and 28 seconds. I, I have had that problem getting on a bus in New York City and not having exact change and they freak out at you. Uh, well, they, they don't have, do that anymore. Well, like but... you have cards now, so like you kind of yeah. have to have a pay card. Yeah, and you fill that up and swipe it. And if, but, if you don't yeah, have but in nineteen ninety, on. It was like up until we were out of college, they didn't have that though. They were still like some buses. I remember when I went. Yeah, I think I think that the like, they, they had the pay card, but like you could still pay in cash. Yeah, and I didn't yeah. know that, and I had like a dollar, and they were like angry that I gave them more than they were getting. Like it was twenty cents, and I gave them a full fucking dollar. Yeah, it's like call it a donation. Just let me get. Yeah. I'm just going six blocks. I couldn't fucking walk. Yeah. Was... Um. So they the bus driver uh, forces him off. And he has to get exact change before they're going to be allowed on the bus. Philip Bosco, uh, by the way. That's right, Philip Bosco. I didn't remember his name off the top of my head. Um, what was he from? Like, what's he done? Because I know all these other uh, cameos. That um, he's... he's been in a bunch of stuff. Uh, I know. Basically, I guess people would know him mostly from. Uh, he's in a lot of '90s movies. So he's in Milk Money. He's in Nobody's Fool. Yes. <laughs> He's actually in uh, the Dream Team, Blue Steel. Oh, that's where I'd seen him, the Dream Team. Yeah, Money Pit. Yeah. So he's just a guy that's been around. All he's a character really actor. Love, like Phil was about to be in SNL, Bob Elliott, you know. Uh, so meanwhile, Robards is finally figuring out where they are because there's a tip about this cabbie that's going crazy, a guy that hit the newsstand. So Robards and his cops uh, descend on the scene. Meanwhile, the mob has figured it out. And so they burst outside and everyone's getting involved. Mario shows up. They all bump into each other. There's a confusion between the fact that Shalhoub doesn't, is, is saying something no one understands. They never got a translator. Uh, Mario is rushing at the people he knows has stolen his money. And the cops think it's all involved with just the two of them. There's a dark and moment where... You see Tony Shalhoub with blood trickling out of his nose, and you know they've beaten him up. The police <laughs> have beaten him up and for interrogation purposes. Yep. Yeah, Robards is like, I told you not to do that. <laughs> I told you to get an interpreter. I thought you said interrogate him. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's, it's weird because I'm like, you know, it, it was definitely a, a product of its time, making fun of, of, you know, foreign cabbies who couldn't speak English. But I'm yeah. like, I don't know if you can really do that today. But at the same time, Bill Murray was also sensitive to it because it's just like he played it up as this guy is genuinely trying to help. Yeah, the fact and that Gina Davis was for a second. I want this to happen. Yeah. Gina Davis was for a second, but then she eventually lost her patience. Said, the goddamn airport. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, and I think that's what he was saying. No, no. Uh, I think he got it. 
because obviously he leaves Robars to the airport. He's got it. Um, oh no, because that's the that's the switcheroo. You think that uh, Shalub has brought them there because he knew where they were going, and you find out later about Mario's involvement. Um, so they eventually uh, get away from all this. They get on the bus. They're they're finally there. I forgot about the um, there's the they keep stopping and going very slowly. It's the sh it's the long road to the airport like every stop is taken by yeah so it's a local bus not, yeah, a, not yeah, an express that's, that's bus what I'm to say. so i was making all the local stops and then yeah. there was like this one guy he it's gets taking. on he tries to get on the bus at one of the stops Got and he's got car. like a bunch of junk on him he, lo he looks like just like a street guy and um the uh the bus the bus driver like being kind of who he is like what he did to bill murray's like you gotta have exact change the guy's like i don't have exact change he's like well then you can't get on i was like but i need to get on so like everybody's freaking flight. out because they need to get to the airport so bill murray's like you know what i got the six thousand dollars that i just got i don't really need it because i got plenty more cash on me nobody else knows that yeah. just bill murray and the gang and he goes here here's six thousand dollars take the next bus and the guy's just like all right yeah which yeah. is no skin off of their teeth yeah yeah, so he, and now he just threw the mob off his trail because he just gave the the, the mob money to some. I never, I never had it. This money was from a bank robbery. Uh, so they finally get off at their stop, and they have no idea where to go from the bus stop to the airport. But they're wandering this really dark, sketchy street, which still in today looks a little sketchy at night. But uh, they're wandering, and my favorite moment of the film comes in. There's this woman on the street corner yelling. Uh, for uh, flowers, I don't know what the Spanish is exactly. Oh, it's like Dolorosa. Uh, uh, flowers for the uh, dead. Yeah, flowers for the dead. I don't, so. I don't remember. It's just, and it's also Tristan. You'll appreciate this. It's a reference yes. to Who's okay. Afraid of Virginia Woolf. Oh, it's actually Streetcar Named Desire. Oh, the Streetcar Named Desire. Yes, and there's the literally a woman when uh, Blanche gets off the the tram to get to Stanley's house, her sister's place. There's this person selling flowers and trying to like just make her wares and it she comes in in the moments when like you're sure Blanche might be dead and stuff so it's like a signifier from Tennessee Williams that she is dead so it's to freak these three out and that's why I was laughing so hard I completely forgot that's true carnival desire and so it's literally she's just doing this you find yourself in a, in a, a dimly lit street corner in the middle of the night and they walk by and they're just like well it's not like that's ominous or anything but and like they literally just call it out yeah it's not like that's a metaphor yeah it's, it's funny because like that's the second comedic surreal moment yeah in the oh, movie and really like other favorite spanish like stuff like the, the spanish-speaking lady saying flowers for the dead flowers for the dead flowers for the dead and i was going like what is she saying? What is she saying? That's ominous. And then I think Gina Davis, like she's saying flowers for the dead. Yeah. And then uh, uh, what's his name? The uh, Quaid. Quaid is just like, oh no, freaking out. Yeah. But then like earlier in the film, uh, before they lose the car, they're driving by a uh, like old Catholic uh, church monastery or whatever. And then you see this priest come out and like uh, this dude on a bike and another dude on the bike and there's a joust. And they think they're going to ask the first bike for directions. This is before their car's robbed i think or after yeah well, some, some, some point like somewhere closer to the uh, earlier half yeah, the movie. so like there's just a weird moment where like so spanish catholics jousting in the middle of the streets of brooklyn in like at like 2 p.m just <laughs> a bunch of bad omens that would have been fun that's so but, good 
And that's when we knew. It was. Jeff came over and watched with the two of us. And that's we all leaned forward like this is the clincher to, for this film. This is why this film. Like is this is, it's the best moment in the entire film. Yeah. It has nothing to do with Bill Murray. I it wanted, was, I wanted it was a, surrealism. It was, it was, it was a weird, really weird segue. Yeah. And then like I guess they, they never explain it. They no, don't have to. they didn't. Have just, and but the thing is like, then they go into these these good, the bad, and the ugly shots of, like, the people's families that are just, like, so disappointed that, that <laughs> yeah. you know, their guy lost. And it's just... I think they're jousting with broomsticks, am I wrong? Right. Yeah. Well, no, one's got a shovel, and the other's got a broomstick. Oh, okay. So, obviously... Yeah. Someone's, to talk to well, someone's gonna get seriously injured here. So good. Um, so, after the Dolorosa lady, they do see a, a garage door open and a baggage carrier comes out and they're like ah oh, well we're here i got it so they can they give the guy a couple thousand dollars to get them to straight to the plane and so they can get right outside the plane murray rushes in to the airport to get their passes and it's jam-packed full of people they're not getting on their flight and so he's like well, let me just saunter up to the counter and who of all people but Red Foreman, Kurt Woodsmith himself, Mikhail Clarence Bodiger to other people. Or Clarence Bodiger. Um, also from Chicago. Who's, yeah, he is. There's a lot of Chicago people. Is Jenny Davis from Chicago? No, but Bill Murray is. Yeah, that's what we said earlier. Yeah, so, the, um, so anyway, Red, Red is uh, yelling at the, the front desk person that he's pissed at. Murray has cut him, and he needs to get on the plane and everything. He's one of those guys. Yeah, and Murray's like, he's like, no, I just got to ask a question. Just got to ask a question. And of course, the, the, the attendant is like, well, now I'm helping this person because fuck you, Kurtwood Smith. You're being a dick. Yeah. And so Murray, Murray looks back at him like he's a little shit and <laughs> yeah. uh, gets, like, oh, look gets at the passes right away and then gets out uh, <laughs> on the plane. And meanwhile, as I mentioned, they were bickering, Gina Davis and Murray, uh, about their future. And right as they're passing the uh, ominous flower lady, she had said, I don't think I'm going to go. I, kn I know what's best for us, and I don't think all of us going is the best idea. Uh, I, I wasn't sure if this was right of her to do, because now it's throwing everything off. It was the plan. Like, why stay in New York when you're definitely a wanted criminal? But well, you know, I she's pregnant. She's got hormones going on, so right. like logic circuits, like this makes sense to her. I think she wants like, to take care of the kid where she's from. Yeah. I don't know. Or she doesn't want to be on the lam the rest of her life. Right. She's just I not think, sure. I think she feels right. like that maybe if, like if they leave New York City, Bill Murray's still going to be like this guy that's going to do like these big heists all the it's, time. Yeah, right. like, Bill just says I saw a different side of you today. It's a, it's a nice dynamic because it's like. You know, you, you see these these scenes in movies where, you know, these people that are in a relationship, one of them is just like trying to be sensitive and ended because the other one is doing great things with their job. It just so happens that this time around, his job is he's a bank robber. And he's finally like, you're doing big things. And I don't want to hold you back with that. And, you know, at the same time, she's just kind of like, I don't want the kid to be you know, the, 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 the son of a criminal, but it, it, you know, it's, it's a, a really heartfelt moment for what it is. Um, and I just think it's funny how they're just like, they could be Bonnie and Clyde and she's just trying to like ease it, ease it back a little bit. 
Yeah, it's good. Like this accidental success. Yeah. Um, so, of course, after he gets the passes, he gets on the plane and she's not there, but Randy is. So he assumes she has chosen to stay. And so Bodker's there and uh, he's miffed that Quaid and Murray are standing next to him discussing whether they should stay too because Murray's like, this was the plan. I can't go without her. There's no reason for me to be in paradise without the person I want to be in paradise with. I know you want to be there. And Quaid's like, well, then I don't know if I want to go. And he's like, you're the most visible person. You gotta go. Like, we're fucked if if you stay here, obviously. Um, and then Bodker kind of gets miffed again. And I think... What exactly happens? Robards bursts into the plane and they think Robards. Yeah, he gets in. Just all at the same time. Yeah. And they think it's just him. The important thing to remember is up until this point, the cops have never seen Bill Murray without the makeup. Right. (laughs) And of course, Wolfman Jack's beard is hidden. Right. So so they go to Storm Plane. And Kurtwood Smith jumps up and he's like, you'll never take me. And they get into a fight. Turns out Kurtwood Smith is that Gambino. That big that, mob boss. That, that, that Mario the, works oh, for. That, yeah, that owned the warehouse where they got the $6,000 originally. And yeah. Mario actually ratted him out and said this was his plane. You got to go get him now. It's just a coincidence that they're taking the same plane as this mob boss. So... Everything's all right. And they actually support him because Gina Davis is in the bathroom and opens the door at the right time to like hit Kurtwood Smith and they tackle him and Robards actually thanks Murray and wants to commend him and asks him for his address to give him like a commendation. So, and only after getting off the plane realizes that the name of the address is the pseudonym he'd been using in the Chip. He'd said like Chetsville or Chetsville. Chip, chip, chip. Like at the beginning when he was still the clown, it's like, yeah. Call oh me wait, something call right. me Skip. Or skip. skip. Yeah, skip. yeah, yeah. It was Skip. No, no. So like, what, is it, what is it like? Oh no, Real call tight. me Skip. No, wait, call me Chip. Yeah, it was skip. the other way around. So yeah, chip it was so weird. You know, I always wanted to be Chip. It was a fake nickname, and then they they called back to it at the end. It was a very oh. nice book. And they get away. It's very and then, but it's like after the plane's in the air, and the guy and and, and the robards. Robards was, was just like, you know, I gotta, I gotta give a, a commendation to that, Kip, that Chipowski. Chipowski? Or, was it, or was it Skipowski? And then he realizes, oh, <laughs> he's yeah. like, dang it! But so I caught the mob boss. So sorry. Yeah, I mean, it's a better win, honestly, for him. So. Right. <laughs> I tell you what, nothing else. This movie is so briskly paced. There's no fat, no yeah. fat on this one. That's the reason we went yeah. through it this way. I think appreciating it in order, like. Yeah. No, that movie was very easy. To sit down and watch, like and discuss just now. Yeah, that was that was yeah, nice. Yeah, um, it's, it's one of my favorite Bill Murray movies, yeah. but it's so. Oh, that's actually the next thing he does. What's that? What, what about, about Bob? Bob? That's a good <laughs> movie too. <laughs> yeah, um, and this was, but, this was Murray's uh, directorial debut. His only, only directorial effort, really. Yeah, yeah as a matter pretty. of fact, um, I don't know if this is one of the pieces of trivia that Tristan was going to talk about, but. He first approached Ron Howard to direct this, mm-hmm. and Ron Howard turned it down because he said there's nobody to root for. Yeah, and Bill Murray thought that's an odd thing to say. Maybe me and the co-writer will just take it on ourselves. Yeah, 
So uh, William, what was his name? I had it. <laughs> uh, it's Howard Franklin. Howard Franklin, who ended up working with him on Larger Than Life. And uh, yeah, this is the best thing they did together. And The Man Who Knew Too Little. Right, which I always wanted to see. Is that as bad as Larger Than Life? You'll find out. Um, That's in eight years. <laughs> um, this this was good. They did they did well together. I think on this. Uh, I'm it's also based on a uh, Jay Cromley novel, who um, they've adapted two others of his books. Uh, if you ever seen the Richard Dreyfuss movie Let It Ride, love that. Real the good. gambling horse track race movie. That's it's a good movie. Came out the year earlier. And uh, one of Chevy Chase's best movies, Funny Farm. Mm-hmm. Which he said is one of his favorites, right? Or is that the one he almost died on that he told us about? No, that was uh, Modern Problems. He almost died. Okay, yeah. Um, so yeah, this is a great film. It yeah. did not do well at all. Uh, it made what, Unfortunately. Like, seven million total or something. It <sighs> came in seventh at the box office that weekend. Um, Seventh's not bad. It, you know, was... I think it was like 22 million total. I forget. Yeah. Ah, there we go. The um the box office was a total of 15 domestic. Didn't even have it listed under worldwide. I don't know that it went worldwide, but um Die Hard 2 had won the week, uh, got 14 million, 10 million more than it was it was 4.7 it got in its first week. Didn't make much more. It was out of the box office a week later, uh, at, at least the top 10. So uh, even the re-release of the Jungle Book beat it, so people do I, not want to see this. But I, I want to see a crossover between, like, you know, there was a Die Hard Five, and it's just Bill Murray's character from Quick Change taking over Dr. Tony Plaza. Or because it's finally in New York, this this could have been Die Hard with a Vengeance. Right. <laughs> um, so yeah, any other final thoughts? I just I I was I'm always surprised by these hidden gems, but I, I really liked it. This was, yeah, I give it an A. I love it. Yeah. This was top notch. It it transcends, you know, letter grades. Like it's just mm-hmm. it's Bill Murray at his Bill Murrayist, mm-hmm. and I I thoroughly enjoyed it. And it's just I definitely want more for real comedies. Oh, like yes. with the with the Dolorosa and the. Uh, Jousting, it's just too good. Yeah. So if you guys haven't seen it and haven't been, you know, put off by or, or totally spoiling the entire movie, you should watch it. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's definitely an A A A A plus yeah. A A grade movie. We hope you agree with us now that you've re-listened to the podcast. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like, yeah, no, let's go check out this uh, Bill Murray movie from uh, 1990. Uh yeah. maybe uh maybe you'll uh so I, I had a segue. There, there are two other big films that happened this month. Uh, sort of. Uh, sorry, it's okay. Uh, I'll hold it against you later. The uh, during this period of time, uh, Gina Davis had just divorced her husband Jeff Goldblum, who she had starred in three films with. Earth Girls Are Easy was the last one. Um, she did a fly with him. Um, so she, I believe, would not marry him yet, but. Rennie Harlan directed a film that I just mentioned, uh, won The weekend in its second week, Die Hard 2. Uh, and it's just funny that they ended up together for a little while. But uh, I don't know if you want to discuss Die Hard 2 for a little bit, Corey? 
Uh, yeah, Die Hard 2 um, actually came out relatively quick turnaround after Die Hard 1. I know uh, in totality, I feel like people think of this as a really inferior sequel, but before we got 4 and 5, I thought this was better than 3. In my mind, even because at least in this movie, they John McClane keeps acknowledging, how could the same thing happen to the same guy twice? So they know that they're treading in sequelitis a bit but yeah. it's it's different enough from the first movie that it stands on its own and Rennie Harlan is just a virtuoso with these action scenes there is a really tense scene that sometimes uh I rewatch over and over again when McLean's in the cockpit of a uh, plane and they're tossing grenades in and he's mm -hmm. got a quick think of a way to get out so he has to pull the uh ejection lever that is so like uh white knuckle Mm -hmm. and, and the, the movie's filled with stuff like that and actually it brings back a couple of the characters from the previous movies like Bonnie Bedelia comes back as his wife um, mm -hmm. Al Powell has a small little cameo yeah. and William Atherton comes back as the asshole reporter yeah just because they're still working together right yeah or they happen to be on the plane they work together right I haven't seen it in a long time oh well, William Atherton yeah I forget they're co-workers right oh uh, no no Okay, yeah, he was just reporting on the, the, the first events. In yeah, in the first movie, he's just the one that almost endangers their children by going to interview them. They make it feel organic since they're sitting on the plane together, though. That right. They happen to, and they're like, we were involved, sort of, in this crazy event. Right. Yeah. And um, actually, uh, they do some kind of daring. The hero fails halfway through the movie to save a plane full of passengers, which actually ups the ante a little bit more <laughs> on the villains. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I really like the second movie. I don't know how you guys feel. And I, I like, I know a lot of films did this since and probably a little bit before, but like they have John Amos uh, turncoat a little. And uh, yeah. you don't quite predict it. You think they're on his side because of how uh, Reggie Van Johnson uh, did in the first film. You trust the cops because he helped him, uh, uh, Bruce Willis in the first film. Yeah. So uh, it's good that they have John Amos betray him you know so that then you want to trust dennis franz he's more of reginald van johnson dennis franz is a great heel in this so good you always have the somebody had who's the opposition <laughs> to mclean and he's great in this you know justin because he's constantly wrong yeah uh what was what's your favorite uh die hard did you like this one mm. <clears throat> have you seen this one? i don't know is it like uh all the diehard movies for me are a bit foggy except for the uh um uh, oh, look at look at jeff over there there he is <laughs> yeah uh That's my contribution yeah yeah no I, actually you know what it's weird that i've seen the ending for for like the first two mm -hmm. for sure so i know how they end mm -hmm. but like uh the right. bits and pieces he from survives. yeah oh yeah <laughs> the bits and pieces uh from like the beginning and the middle is, is really foggy for me, but like uh, the third Die Hard movie with Sam, Samuel L. Jackson. It's the best one. Yeah, that one's my favorite. I love that one because that one was on reruns all, all the time on TV. So like yeah. I saw that one the most. We'll get to that in five uh, years. <laughs> and then like the newer ones, yeah, they're all right. Yeah. The fourth the fourth one I liked because I liked Timothy Oliphant, but it, it, it's not something you want to revisit necessarily. It's I mean, not as good as the first yeah. one. I think it's still decent. 
I haven't the, even uh, seen the fifth one. The uh, the uh, the chemistry between uh, uh, <clears throat> Justin Long. Yeah, Justin Long and uh, Bruce Willis. It's it's all right. He's no he's no Reginald Van Johnson. It, it's before Bruce Willis officially checked out mentally from that series. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, he checked out in life. And, yeah, uh, <laughs> that was just a paycheck for him. That movie. I wonder if it's uh, because the impetus for when he starts fading is when his divorce between him and Demi Moore happens. And that brings me to our maybe film, uh, another film, one that won the weekend. It did not get first because Die Hard was on top. Ghost came in second at the box. Oh, that why they oh that's interesting. Yeah, so they're they're top of the charts right there. I forget when they actually got together. Was it before this? It was before they this. Did, they did a movie together. They did they? Mortal Thoughts together. Yeah, that's before this. So yeah, um, so they're the king and queen of the box office in July, and then Bill Murray's like. The Joker yeah. out of the way, so uh, so Ghost I I wanted to have as our feature for this uh, month, but quick change as we're doing hidden gems from now on, pretty much uh, makes a lot more sense. Ghost was a big film nominated for Best Picture, stars Demi Moore as uh, the girlfriend of Patrick Swayze, who right. is killed in a random act of violence. He's just sort of mugged, and the neatest thing is that. It's funny you were talking about parodies uh, before we started the podcast. Jerry right. Zucker is the director of this. It's the last person you would think would have a touching romantic drama. Yeah, it's a very straight movie. There you go. There's the infamous, uh, they're forming you, Jeff. Yes. You're, you're the, I'm the pottery. <laughs> um, so there's that obviously, they, they showed their chemistry in that scene. And you, you really believe their um, relationship there. And so when he dies, he comes back as a ghost. And I know they've done ghost movies before, like the Heaven Can Wait sort of thing. Ghost this, yeah, ghost, yeah, last, just last week, uh, last month. Uh, so it's not a new thing per se, but the way they do it is so genius with Odame Brown. They have Whoopi Goldberg as a medium who is grifting people and just pretending she can see the dead when she starts seeing Patrick Swayze. And so he tries to communicate back to Demi Moore through her. And it's just, I think it was one of the films I watched over and over again because it was on TV as a kid. And it's just become one of my favorite films in general. Um, it also spurred a musical. Wait, you saw it as a kid and loved it? Yes. <laughs> well, yeah, I agree with him because it's, it's unabashedly schmaltzy, yeah. but it works. Yeah, I think it's all Whoopi Goldberg for me. She won an Oscar for this, and I there's no doubt about this. She is phenomenal in the movie. Yeah. Uh, because she has to go from being incorrigible to sincere. Yeah. And it's a good trajectory for the character. And mm -hmm. uh, Tony Goldwyn, who knew he could play a great villain? Yeah. Grand and Vincent, of, uh, MGM, essentially. <laughs> and uh, Vincent uh, Scavello? Yeah, Vincent Scavelli has a great cameo because Patrick Swayze... Well, he's one of those character actors that has su like such an unorthodox look to him yeah, that he, he can like only play villainous henchman roles yeah, and they villain. utilize that perfectly in this. He's great in Desta Smoochie's last role. Yeah, I love that. But he, he shows Patrick Swayze in the uh, subway how to move things he can yeah. manipulate things from beyond the grave. Now, like when a door creaks open and stuff, it's supposed to be a ghost. He like teaches Swayze how to m mentally move a cup. 
That's so Can weird. I, say, I, I remember that. It's the best scene in the movie. The only thing that doesn't date well in the movie. Like that's like one of the few things I remember. The most, the I think so it's more iconic than this Pottery thing. The only thing that doesn't date well in the movie is the look of the ghosts. Yeah, I mean the the glow around them is kind the, of the ethereal ghost in the, the movie that, that take people had. down to hell. I guess yeah. they want to be demons. I guess you would call them. Yeah. Well, this is the thing. I rewatched it recently with my dad just because it was again on TV. It's a pretty and gruesome I, death at the end. It. Yeah, uh, Tony Goldwyn gets the pane of glass through himself. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think when I was a kid, I used to have dreams about like these shadow wolves coming to get me. And it's definitely from ghosts because they kind of look like they're shadow wolves dragging them down to hell. So right. I, realized I probably shouldn't have watched this as a kid. Yeah. No. But it both thrilled me and frightened me. So uh, definitely one of my favorite movies. But uh, those were the two that were dominating in July. And we wanted to highlight one of the undersung gems of the film of the month so um they're both good i think the cool thing is right now jeff is making pottery yeah just to tie into this yeah yep um what else what else came out this month though Corey? well this is a great segue because you were talking about die hard too rennie harlan had another movie come out this month Mm. can you believe that really uh yeah the adventures of ford fairlane i didn't know he did that the Andrew Dice Clay starring vehicle. Uh, now, if you don't like Andrew Dice Clay, this is not going to be for your taste. I, however, think Andrew Dice Clay is very funny. Um, and it's almost like a noir detective story with Dice. And uh, yeah, he plays a misogynistic, chauvinistic asshole in the movie. But that's his shtick. And actually, they they lampoon it a bit in the movie. So... Um, I actually think it's worth checking out. I, I would have almost suggested this, but I know nobody would have enjoyed it as much as I did. But uh, I would recommend people check it out. Um, now, a movie that Tristan just saw, Arachnophobia, also opened this month. Yep, I wanted to check it out in case we did this for our uh, focused film. And then I tried to get Jimmy to watch it, and he refused. He's just not yeah. a I'm not a spider guy, no. Uh, it's funny, because I don't really have a like a phobia of spiders but they have some really inventive shots of upping the creep factor like there's close-ups of the spider's eyes especially towards the end in the barn and and the climax spiders for the most part and it's not entirely trying to be uh scary for the most part it's very tongue-in-cheek as well especially with the um the john goodman character who plays the exterminator also very smart with the jeff daniels he's the star uh performance he He's like a small town doctor that, or he's a big city doctor who's come to a small town to like just. He's practice. Doc Hollywood. Yeah, and he, um, he's kind of sardonic because he's like already fed up as soon as he gets there, and so it's not quite a dark humor, but he's got like an edge to him, and it's it's really clever. Yeah. Um, the the most interesting thing is that they lay out, um, to get the spiders to move in front of the camera. They laid out what sugar on both sides of the path they needed to go and the spiders won't go towards sugar so that's how it goes straight where they want it to go okay that was kind of interesting i think this is also directed by frank marshall who's normally a producer yeah he's yeah he produced a lot of uh i think he produced he produced jurassic park yes and this was like his um not dream movie but he got it as one of the things he wanted to 
then uh, veer into uh, directing, I believe. And he never really got a directing career, but this is a good one. Yeah. He also did uh, Congo. Yes, which not as good. How <laughs> dare you? It's a guilty pleasure. It's fun. Thank you, Jimmy. It's fun. Yeah, that's a good movie. We'll see you in 95 when we talk. Yeah, about it's fun. <laughs> Maybe I'll read That's going to be the one we highlight. I haven't seen it since 95. So. What? Why would I Ugly woman. Ugly woman. Well, that actually, that film started the uh, trend of every character that was my favorite dying, and you didn't expect it. So well, I would, who's your favorite I would character? Like, Not Ernie Hudson? No, the um, the best friend that ended up being uh, George Clooney's best friend. Oh, I Grant thought he was going to say Bruce Campbell. Grant Hesloff. He's like, Bruce Campbell oh, dies very, at the very beginning. He's Bill Paxson's uh, assistant, and he runs into the cave, and he has his That's your favorite character? Yes. I he's was given, nine. He's so vanilla in the movie, he's given nothing to do. I was nine. I didn't know any better. Well, uh, we'll see how you feel when you rewatch it. Yeah, I'm Come sure. Come to your senses. Yeah, right. Um, but yeah, then I could look at a movie and be like, that guy's going to die, that guy's going to die. My parents would be like, no, and then he would die. And I, it was like five films straight. It's the worst kind of gift. I know. I hated it. <laughs> and then we went to oh. film school and it made it so much worse. <laughs> yeah. Since we were talking about uh, parody movies in a way, uh, a movie that came out this month was called The Freshman, mm-hmm. which is Marlon Brando not doing a parody, but kind of sending up his uh, godfather persona. And it's actually a very charming little film. Uh, Andrew Bregman. It's They even... They reference the Godfather. They're like, he looks so much like him. A couple of times in the movie, him and uh, Matthew Broderick have really good chemistry. It's a it's an effervescent little comedy. I recommend people go see it. That was our yeah. second choice for this, actually. I think in the end. Yeah, yeah. The, I, like I'm saying, there's a there's a bunch of movies we could have picked out of this. Um, I really like Presumed Innocence mm-hmm. that came out this this month. Uh, it's a Harrison Ford movie. Alan J. Pakula who's done a lot of like uh, socio-political thrillers in his time, mm-hmm. all the president's men, Clue, stuff like that. Clued it's right. a, it's a courtroom drama. That's uh that's very compelling and actually very uh, unsettling too, but it's not something that would lend itself to a very sobering discussion. So yeah, it's a little dry. Yeah. It's, it's kind of, it's lesser Harrison Ford, but I wouldn't even go there. I'd say it's a very good Harrison Ford movie. It's still so good. I don't think it's not something you really discuss. Yeah. It's like, did you like Presumed Innocent? Yes. Right. Um, There's two more movies that I had to watch for the podcast. I suffer for you people, just so you know that. You didn't have to watch them. Yes, I did. Uh, Jetsons the movie came out. Now, Tristan and I have seen this. And apparently Jeff had a poster of it when he was a kid. Mm-hmm. Yep. For and yet he still woke up to the, I woke up to the, the, the smiling faces of the Jetson family just staring at me. It's just odd watching the movie because I'm thinking, why would they revive this series at this time? Because I don't know that there was a clamoring for fans to bring it back. And also they blend hand-drawn animation with a lot of cgi establishing shots and it doesn't meld well at all when we were talking about this before the podcast they kind of did some looney tunes stuff in the late 80s yeah so i think they were thinking like hannah barbera is like what if we get into that and to me the jetsons to me was always an inferior space age version of the flintstones 
which in fact the Flintstones is basically just an animated the honeymooners. Yeah. Well, the, if we if you boil it down to the essentials. Well, the Flintstones did come first. They were in black and white, and then they transitioned the color. Then they were like, "Oh, this this formula works. Let's create the Jetsons. Yeah. Do like the complete opposite. Improve Stone on. Age future. Yeah, improve on the uh, Flintstones. No, no, no. Yes. Also, the weird thing is because they're trying to stay current with this movie. There's a lot of pop synth songs, and uh, Jane, the daughter, is voiced by Tiffany, the pop singer. Oh. And she contributes a few songs to the soundtrack. All of which clash horribly with the whole movie. The movie's awful. Mm-mm. It's probably one of the worst animated movies I've ever seen. Mm-mm. Oh, you like it, do you? I don't remember it. Okay. <laughs> I just like the Jetsons cartoon. Uh, it does a disservice even to that mediocre show. Wow. Uh, then um, also coming out this month was Navy Seals. Very a, good. Basically a recruitment film for buds um and it has charlie sheen uh michael bean bill paxton aliens reunion uh dennis haysbert so yeah there's a lot of notable actors in this and uh boy it's as cheesy as you can get this is even worse than uh top gun in terms of that do they get shirtless and play volleyball they no but there is a montage it's not even as Cutely homoerotic is that. This has them playing golf at one point, a, a golf montage. Which could you get more bland? And of course, Charlie Sheen throughout the whole movie is saying one-liners before he kills the terrorist. Which, by the way, the movie's huge on Islamophobia. I'll get oh. to that in a second. Oh boy! But uh, you don't need to. There's a no. We'll get to it. <laughs> oh man! Because there's a part where they're they're sieging a village and there's a. Uh, there's explosive casters on one side. This is almost like a video game. And he tosses their grenade. He's like, I guess they should have paid their gas bill. Right before he blows up some terrorists. <laughs> it's horrible. And uh, I guess they're supposed to be charmingly reckless in the movie. But everything they do come off as these really irresponsible, immature frat boys. At one point, they go into a guy's bar after one of their teammates has died. And they basically take it over and harass and terrorize everybody, set the bar on fire. And this is supposed to be amusing. Another point, uh, Charlie Sheen basically takes this reporter that Michael Bean's having dinner with. And he keeps talking about um, the Middle Eastern people as ragheads and how uh, I guess it was weird for you to grow up in a whole village full of wetbacks. And then immediately after that, he's trying to take her home, pulls over to the side with romantic music playing in his van, takes her out to the beach and tries to sexually assault her. Again, this is one of the heroes of the film. I'm so glad we didn't choose this as our... Okay. So the only thing I will give this movie credit for is that they don't... I thought, having not read the synopsis, that Charlie Sheen was going to be the rookie that was going to have to go through training. Hmm. I was like, oh, we're going to have to sit through training montages and all these sequences. They're already an established team at the beginning. So thank God they don't do that. Oh, thank God there's something good in this. There's something. But beyond that, the movie's off. Yeah, I never want to see it. So the only redeeming thing was the beginning of the movie? (laughs) It started, Uh, and that's when it went downhill. Yeah. Ron Howard should have passed on this one. (laughs) Uh, yeah, so 
I, I don't think you have anything else. I think we no, that's all. do uh, our favorite segment, Poster Boy. We actually have two posters we want to talk Alrighty. about. Yeah, all right. Me and my oh, yeah, I just have, I have the alternate version at the end, so. Let's see. There we go. Okay. So describe the poster for our listeners. All right. So, uh, there's some dorky looking kid sitting on top of a washing machine with a cat inside uh, with the parents uneasily looking on from either side of the poster. And this kid is like young Sheldon before young Sheldon. He's got like an Argyle yeah. sweater vest uh, and a bow tie and... Yeah, Tucker Carlson bow tie. Right, yeah. exactly. The parents too concerned about that cat. They're just like, oh, no, he's no. more trouble. They're just like, oh, he's, uh, you know, boys will be boys. Is that a calico kid? Is that? Yeah. And I'm assuming that is John Ritter. Uh, oh, wow. Good eye. Very That's well. Good. That's good. The artist rendering, yeah. It yeah, it does say it at the bottom, but I did not expect you to read that. Yeah, no. He doesn't good. look at those. Yeah, I know. He doesn't know how to read. It's a very flattering John Ritter. Um, I can't recognize the mom though, but the yeah, I don't know who it was. Yeah, so there's. Oh, there's, I know who that is. She's not in the. Yeah, and this this kid is looking like really happy with himself, like he trapped the cat on his own, and it's just like, look at me, I'm future serial killer. Um, and this oh. cat is like flipping around, and he's like, he's got the most horrified look on his face. Oh, and this is all painted, by the way. It's not like this is a nice yeah. picture. This is like yeah. Weirdly enough, know, the cat art... looks more cartoonish than the people. It's it's very yeah. It's very Norman Rockwell meets Jigsaw in a sense. <laughs> like it's it's very weird. Not wrong. So uh, be your first chance. What do you think this is called? Called okay. We're doing title. Um, not that darn cat. I know that much. Um, <laughs> That's later in the 90s. <laughs> oh, God. Um, all right. Let me, let me try to guess the synopsis first. No. I, yeah, why don't you do that? Yeah. And, and then and then I'll give you the... We'll work itself out. Yeah, okay. The tagline I have bullet points for you to read. I'm guessing this kid's a troublemaker. But he doesn't seem like it. He's just letting out. He's he's just a real awkward kid, uh, who, who his parents buy him a pet. His parents are in a bad situation. It's just two two parents deal with a bad situation, <laughs> um, and so they buy him a pet, and he he and the pet don't get along at first, and it's just sort of like this this, uh, what's the um. The thing from Animaniacs with the 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 little girl and the dog. Oh, and Myra. Yeah. No. Yeah. The little girl. Yeah. Uh, that's uh, Tiny Toons. Oh, I mixed them up. They're yeah. the same company, so. Right. Uh, so it's kind of like that situation where, like, he's supposed to look after the cat, and then he's not doing too great a job because the cat's gonna wash. Um. All right. Here, okay. I'll, so I'll reveal the uh, tagline, and you read as I reveal. Okay. Okay. So the. Okay. Tagline. Wait for it. Attila the Hun. Ivory Terrible. Al Capone. They were all seven months. <laughs> oh, okay. that gave it to you, right? 
<laughs> okay, hang on. Uh, oh my God. Baby mobsters, no. Um, <laughs> elementary. Uh, youth in revolt. <laughs> um, domestic terror. Oh God. It, that's. I feel like you're floundering a bit. Do you want us to just? Oh, I'm it? definitely floundering, but I'm you just got, as close as I can get here. You got pretty close on the synopsis. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Uh, he essentially said the title uh, by. Well, let me hang on. Does the cat talk? No. No. The cat's no. just okay. in the poster, as far as I know. Um. Okay. I I have no idea. I'm. All right. I'll give. I'll give. I'll give you the title. Problem child. Now, have you ever heard of this movie, Jeff? Nope. Okay, good. We weren't sure. No. Have, have you heard, heard of the cartoon show that like, came out afterwards? It seems like it's just a knockoff of Dennis the Menace, but like darker. Yep. Basically. Yeah. In a way. More scatological for sure. Oh. Um, and so the woman over there is Amy Yazbek. Oh, John Ritter. Who is actually John Ritter's widow. At the time, um, uh, I don't know if they were uh, married yet. By that point, I think they met on the movie. Oh, maybe. I, was, um, I just knew they were together by the time she's in Wings, and then he's doing a, his uh, ten things or ten rules for dating or eight rules or whatever. Uh, yeah. So for fifteen years they were married at least. Is that? Hang on, Michael Richards and Gilbert Gottfried were in this. Yeah. Well, yes, they were. I can explain that. <laughs> um, Michael Richards. Okay, so the plot of the movie is um, they're a couple. They want to... John Ritter more so wants to have kids. She's reluctant. Uh, so they end up adopting a kid, which is Junior here. And uh, he's a problem child. So he's basically like Macaulay Culkin and the good son. Mm -hmm. He's up to all sorts of mischief. Although he's not throwing Mr. Happy over a... Uh, over a a freeway interpass or anything. See, I thought this one you might get. This poster. Have you ever seen this poster? Do you know what's a parody of? Uh, I've never seen it, but I'm assuming The Exorcist. <laughs> no. Um, have you ever seen Parenthood with Steve Martin? Oh, no. Yeah, uh, Steve Martin is basically the junior character, and that's holding two kids. Okay. So he's he's holding up two kids in the original Parenthood uh, poster, and in this, he's holding yeah. up John Ritter and Amy Asbeth. Right. Right. Okay. Kids, so for yeah. the listeners. So. Yeah. All right. So yeah, they adopt Junior. Um, the uh, uh, Michael Richards plays a, a prison escapee who winds up at the house and starts to. Uh, ruined John Ritter's life because he he basically cuckolds him and goes off with uh, Amy Yazbek. And then Junior emulates him because he wants to be a criminal too. So uh, he loses his family. Uh, towards the end, uh, John Ritter goes off on an alcoholic binge. I want to see this. Uh, no, you don't. <laughs> okay. Um, Gilbert Gottfried plays a uh, social worker who... Okay, now I need to see this. <laughs> yeah, who... I, or he might work for the adoption agency. I, I forget which, but that's he's the one that they get Junior from. And uh, Jack Ward plays John Ritter's father. Weird bit of casting. Weirder than that is, did you happen to see who the screenwriters were? No, I didn't. 
Scott Alexander and uh, Larry Karzewski. Who would go on a few years later to do Ed Wood and Man on the Moon and, and all these very highly touted biopics. Mm -hmm. So it's weird that they started off with this really pubescent, juvenile, horrible movie. Yeah. And it had a sequel. It didn't. We'll talk about that. I don't think we'll go into it. It had two sequels. And yeah. There's a made-for-TV third one. Yes. Yeah. Really? I don't remember that. And Gilbert comes back for that. He's the only returning cast member. Mm. Which is a nice <laughs> And then uh, it's kind of like Home Alone before Home Alone comes out later this year. Right. I like to imagine that Gilbert Gottfried is just like the, the, the guy from Gremlins that like deals the gremlins, but he's just dealing like terrible adopted children. Yeah. Just returns as a as an adoption agent. Like a comedy version of the omen. Mm. Well, that's poster boy. Right? Yeah. So uh we have one last uh thing to get through. And I think given that one of our films this month was Die Hard 2, I have a question to pose to all of you. What's your favorite Christmas film? How oh, can you narrow it down to like a certain subcategory of Christmas film? Like a dark Christmas film? Well, then we're going to have very specific. Mm. Because I could have a recommendation that ties into that. <laughs> we'll all say Die Hard. If it, it's a pick of the month, I could. Yeah. So I think that if we go with all broad Christmas, because the next episode is going to come out New Year's Day. This is December you're probably listening to it. So uh, I figured any Christmas is being. And uh, is this putting you too much on the spot? Can we do can we do top three? Sure. Yeah, one's tough. I already have that in my head. Yeah, I know I bet I know what yours is actually. Can I guess? Sure, yeah. Guess my guess my top three Christmas movies. Miracle on 34th Street. Never seen it. Oh. It's a wonderful life. Either of them. That's number two. Okay. Hmm. Gremlins. Mm -mm. Good though. Yeah. I mean, my favorites are more traditional. Uh, I was gonna say uh, Charlie Brown. That's a Christmas special, so I guess that doesn't I would count it though, because like Grant and Rudolph and and Charlie Brown, even though they're like short, frosty, they count as Christmas movies for people that watch them around this time. Mm -hmm. yeah. Ernest Saves Christmas. I've never Ooh. seen it. I want to. I want to go through the Ernest movies after you guys lauded him mm. the other day, and I was I like, do, "He's a brilliant actor." I think you should do an Ernest special. Yeah. Ooh, we can we do that actually? <laughs> yeah. Both we'll below, if you want us to do that, because I really want to do that. Yeah. At some point in the future, we'll do an Ernest. <laughs> We're gonna do an Ernest retrospective. Um, okay, so top three Christmas movies. Do they have to be? Revolving around Christmas, or could this be set during Christmas? Like everybody says, Die Hard might be a Christmas movie, right? It is. There's no debate. Yeah, no, yeah, it is. What he said, no debate. Yeah, because I would put Die Hard in there. Yeah. All right. Well, definitely a Christmas story. Makes sense. Because um, that Overrated. that movie, like became a part of my DNA because I looked like Peter Billingsley as a kid. Have, have like, you I still do, kind of. Picture, Corey, of him dressed in the bunny outfit? Yeah. 
was it your grandmother that got it for you or your aunt or something? It'd be funny if you could pick bring it up right now as a background. No, no, I'm gonna try to find I don't have a picture in, in the bunny outfit, but like actually no, it's on my Facebook, which I have right now. Um but there was a we were at my uncle's house in Texas for Thanksgiving and they were watching a Christmas story on this giant TV in the living room and like at the moment in the movie when he walks in with the bunny suit I apparently walked into the room at the same time and my entire family like their light bulbs went off and my life was over from that moment <laughs> on because everyone just realized oh my god it's Ralphie and even like my teachers started calling me that me that they're kids that I went to school with that still know me as as Ralphie and it was just this it, it became my life and so I just sort of accepted it and you uh, and Tristan met because you stuck your tongue to a pole pretty much yeah and that's that, what, that was more or less what happened and so it was funny because when the when Christmas Story musical came out um I'm like I was literally born to play the narrator like I need to do this one day, when whenever theater decides to come back. Um, I would love to do that. But anyway, Christmas Story. It's and it, other than that, it's a classic movie. And like it came out in July, it was terrible. And there was a, a sequel to that that like a summer story. Um, right. Oh yeah, it was like All in the Family or something. It like takes place in the summer. It was terrible. Mm -hmm. I think it, I think the original novels of Summer Story and they called it All in the Family or something. I think Charles Grodin's yeah. in that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which we'll get to eventually, I think. I think it's 95. Well, we're not covering it, I hope. Uh, okay. All right. So Christmas Story, Rudolph, the animated one, mm. the one. one. Play animated, buddy. Stop motion to be specific. You're right. I'm sorry. Stop motion. Stop motion. Stop motion. I apologize. There you go. Animator. How dare you? Think of the word. Uh, I mean, and also, I'm I'm partial to the Santa Claus. Oh, ooh. Yeah. ooh, that's a good one. Okay. Die Hard. This will throw you for a loop, maybe. Home Alone 2. Oh. I just preferred Home Alone 2. You think that trumps the first one? What? What did you just say? <laughs> yeah, I always, I always preferred Home Alone 2. I thought it's funnier. I think they're both fine. Plus, as a kid, I liked that it was more violent. <laughs> <laughs> like a pigeon lady, so can't, I can't fault you for that, honestly. Yeah, yeah, you know what? I'll go with Jeff. I'll say Santa Claus. Yeah. So you didn't guess the other two, by the way. I have um, number three. I was going to go with Muppet Christmas Carol. Oh, uh, the best Muppet movie, honestly, because they honestly the best Scrooge too. Yeah, uh, enough. Um, I was going to say that for one of mine. And then number oh. one is White Christmas. Can't get enough of that. I'm a, I'm a classic guy, so. Well, of course you would want White Christmas. Racist. Snow is only white. Also, honorable mention. Uh, rare exports. Oh, it's a great movie. Yeah, I just saw that a couple years ago. Brad and I watched it, loved it. Yeah, good movie. Jeff, Jeff forced that on us, but it was worth it. Yeah, <laughs> oh, well, this I just as a side note, since I don't know if we're gonna do picks of the month, but here's a Christmas movie to recommend for you Fat Man. 
with Mel Gibson. Yeah. Well, there you go. That's there's your number four, I guess. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Okay. Is, he, Jimmy. Is, it my, is it my turn? Yeah, go ahead, buddy. So, since so you're already saying, he, he's excited. Scrooge. Uh, Scrooge is great. Uh, he, was, he was just saying Michael Caine is the best Scrooge. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, true. So he didn't yeah. jump on your. Yeah, all right. But still, though, Scrooge. Um, I love Scrooge. Um, the Bill Murray Tim Tim Allen. Tim Allen. There we yeah, go. Yeah, we were uh, talking about it. Yeah. And then also, of course. Ah, what is this? Uh, what is this? <laughs> yes, I do have a marionette. It it's hangs year round on his yeah. door. It never leaves. It's always on my door. I all. hate that movie. James, can you oh. describe that for the people listening at home that are yeah. not looking? Also, also, it's, by the it's way, a Jack Skellington. By the way, for the uh, viewers and listeners, I never went through my emo phase, so like. I don't understand why I like this. He's still going through his emails. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't know why. I love, yeah, I, it's, I, a good, it's a good film. But it's, it's yeah, it's, it's. I was thinking about rewatching. I haven't seen it in years. It's a classic. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I would also go with Lethal Weapon. I like Batman Returns. I'm thinking of rewatching soon. Um, he's not your typical Christmas movies, but I we went off the rails on that top three. <laughs> yeah. I like yeah. Ice yeah. Harvest. Because that's the thing. Like Christmas movies are that that ultimate genre that you like we could all do like doctoral theses on, on yeah. Christmas movies and that's why you can't you can't narrow it down yeah because there's also like 70 years worth mm-hmm. um but yeah so that's our that's uh, Christmas movies like, I'll watch Christmas movies all year round because they make me feel all warm and fuzzy inside yeah. um, you feel cold which we need right now. Oh, yeah. Cold. Too. Well, only the ones with snow. But, yeah, I don't I think know. All good choices. So, yeah. So, that's our uh, our uh, podcast on Quick Change. Uh, remember to rate, uh, review, and subscribe. Uh, we'll be on YouTube and Stitcher and iTunes and Spotify and everywhere else you can get your podcasts. Uh Next month, we're not 100% sure on what we're going to do, but I have a decent idea. So we'll let you know in our uh, post. Uh, thanks, everybody. Toodles. Arrivederci. Uh,